You are listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Forge Leadership Network mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives ages 18 to 25, equipping them to lead in politics, culture, and business. For more information or to get involved, visit forgeleadership.org. All right, everyone. Uh, welcome back to the Forge podcast today. And we are here uh, with uh, Executive Director of Forge, Adam Josephic. Uh, and we're excited to talk to um, Michael Hendricks. And Adam's going to introduce him a little bit and we'll dive uh, dive into questions here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have Michael with us. He just spoke at the 2018 Forge Leadership Summit um, and, and, and was kind enough to fly in from, uh, from New York City. And we're catching him before he uh, hops aboard going back. So we're thrilled to talk to our students about um, how markets and, 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 and free economies lead to human flourishing and, and kind of the, uh, the human factor of, of economics. Michael's the director of state and local policy at Manhattan Institute and previously served as the senior director of uh, research and emerging issues at uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation. So, uh, you know, Michael's a, I'm, I'm blessed to, to, to know him as a good friend. Um, and he's, he's also somebody I really like to read on National Review, National Affairs, and he's a frequent yeah. public speaker. Um, he just put a great article yeah. out uh, about uh, you know conservatism and the millennial age. Definitely yes. an article that, that our students should check out. Yes, absolutely. So Michael's uh, international relations master's from St. Andrews in Scotland, the home of golf, uh, <laughs> and as well as a certificate in uh, strrategy and performance management from Georgetown. University. Good. So it's great to be here. Probably probably won't cut that part about golf. Well, no, not just why well, cut that. It's <laughs> not just golf. It's also Prince William. That's true. Will and Kate. Come right. on, this is They're this is these, these are important important parts of St. Andrews' experience. That's, that's right. <laughs> with with all you've done, uh, kind of dive into since you know for just we're dealing with eighteen to twenty five year olds. Mm-hmm. You can dive into how did you get your start? Uh, what have, what have you done? You know, since yeah. you were in college, where did you go to get to the point where you So the at? question is, how does someone with an international relations degree do yeah. state and local policy? <laughs> yeah. That's part of the story. But I think I do have to rewind a little bit at the back and, and just confess that in, in the year of our Lord, 2018, <laughs> I graduated in 2008, right? Wow. <laughs> so we are at the 10-year mark, which is a pretty good time to reflect. Right. What's changed? <laughs> how did I end up here? And you know what? I, I would say... There was no plan, and that's okay. There was no idea in my mind in 2008 in Scotland that I would be in New York City working for the Manhattan Institute, and that is also okay. And the reason why I say that is when I think back to 2008, I remember one question. The question always was, so what do you do after you graduate? And I felt this pressure. To give them an answer. Yeah. Not just any answer, like a good answer. Good answer. A coherent answer, one with a story and a purpose an and direction, answer. an impressive one. Yeah. And I just didn't have that. I really had no idea what I was going to do. I thought, well, maybe I'll do consulting. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll stay in the UK. Maybe I'll go back to the States. I'm from Texas originally, and Scotland's sort of far afield from that. And, um, you know, the, there, was one, um, there was one Bible verse that really stuck out to me. It's from the book of James, and it talked about our lives. 
and it said that our lives are just a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. Yeah. It was before and after that little section, it talked about how you who say, and I'm going to paraphrase here and kind of butcher it, but essentially you who say, you know, I'll go to a certain town, be there for a year, do this or that, you don't know the future. Hmm. Consider that your life is a mist and say, Lord willing, I will do this or that. Hmm. And I took that to mean, yes, plan. Hmm. Yes, have a vision and hold it all very lightly and loosely. In fact, maybe you're not even holding it at all. Maybe it's God's, right? That was the only comfort I had because everything else around me was saying, I must have a plan. I don't have a plan. And then guess what? Everybody that had a plan also had that upended because this was 2008 and there was a financial crisis. Even the people who had plans didn't have them anymore. And it was made worse by the fact that in 2008 – 2008 was not 2009. 2008 was not 2010. In those, in those, by those, by that point, people knew that the economy was bad. And oh wait, we were often the front lines. Those recent graduates yeah. of an economy that was going to be the worst in living memory, and we knew it was bad. But other people sitting comfortable in their jobs didn't know that, and so we felt very alone. I can, I think, speak for some of my other peers. We felt very alone in that moment. And realize not only did we not have a plan, or if we did, it didn't matter anymore, but it was going to – we were going to suffer from an economic hangover that could last the rest of our careers. Yeah. And in that sort of environment, I had to look for a job. And I'll tell you, it was hard. It was humbling. Mm-hmm. And I hmm. found myself back at home. Working the same job I had before college. I sold suits at Joseph A. Bank. <laughs> All right. And I took whatever money I had and whatever money I was earning, and I used it to fly back and forth to Washington, D.C. to pound the pavement. I didn't have enough to, you know, get a place there and, yeah. you know, burn money on rent for a couple months. Hmm. Uh, there was none of that. I just had to just travel and go and make the most of that time um, and take whatever job I could get. Hmm. I'll tell you, not only was the economy bad, but I was somewhat interested in politics and confession. Yeah, that was, a- was a Republican. Guess what happened, right? Here I am in D.C. A lot of jobs and Congress was yeah. wiped out, and the Bush administration was pushed yeah. out of office. And so now you had no jobs in Congress, and whatever jobs did exist were being taken by people who were overqualified from the Bush administration. Hmm. Again, what was the role for me? There was none. And hmm. by the way, all those think tanks, all those nonprofit groups didn't have donor money anymore because nobody was giving. Hmm. So I took the first job I could get, and it took six months. And it was not fun, but I found myself with a job offer doing international democracy development hmm. for an affiliate of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and their job was to promote democracy in developing countries through the business community, hmm. um, through capitalist institutions, which is part of what I was here speaking about. And I'll tell you, that was one of the best gifts I could have had. I had a wonderful boss, 
great coworkers, people who really cared for me. And they helped me realize who I wanted to be and who I was becoming. Hmm. And also realize what I didn't want to do. And increasingly I was realizing I didn't want to focus on international affairs, international Hmm. um, politics. But then instead our affiliate, the group that we were affiliated with, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that they perhaps were doing some interesting work. So fast forward, I found myself a couple years later at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They were trying to start what was essentially like a think tank within their group, saying that we have a lot of people on the front lines of the hill. But what about people kind of taking a step back and looking five, three to five to ten years out and the issues that maybe not burning on the hill, but maybe will be going forward? What are the big trends on technology and society, demographics, the economy? And I had the, one of the coolest jobs in the world to work in the Chamber of Commerce creating this team with, again, a terrific boss. And I realized along the way, if this is any lesson to anybody's listening, how much the people around you matter, um, how much mentors matter, bosses matter. People tell you that kind of stuff, but it's really true. Yeah. Even when I didn't know it, it really mattered a lot. And so these, that experience and these people around me help me grow as a human being and eventually realize that how much uh, it matters to have an, a guiding question that in my life would bring purpose to the work that I did, a question that I must answer with my time at work, something that just, you know, nags me and I gotta answer it. And something about just, I don't know, being taught by these mentors and my bosses, something about just continuing to write when I didn't feel like it, something mm-hmm. about just continuing to read when I didn't want to read, something about it, just that kind of, I don't know, that learned curiosity made me just have more questions than I could answer, than answers that I could find. And eventually a couple of them kind of stick with you. And one of them, for me, built up by experience of the Chamber of Commerce, with chambers all across the country, built up by what I learned in Washington, D.C., living in this place that went from a place full of crime with a, uh, a struggling economy to one with cranes stuffing the sky. The question that I had to answer was, um, what makes for a flourishing city in the modern economy, and how can we, how can we get there? And, um, and eventually I realized there need to be more people out there asking that kind of and trying to answer it. And by the way, there needed to be more conservatives out there mm-hmm. asking those questions and trying to answer them. And, um, and so I said, you know, why not I take a stab at that? Mm-hmm. So that's how I wound up at the Manhattan Institute doing state and local policy. Wow. Over many, many years, mm-hmm. I wrote, I thought, spoke, networked. I eventually ran that group in the chamber. And um, you pursued that question. And I pursued that question. Mm-hmm. And I pursued that question. And I eventually found myself now in a think tank. I've been here since September. Um, whose heart and soul is in the city? Mm-hmm. And takes what they've learned, what we've learned in New York City as our home. Mm-hmm. Um and translate that around the country, and sometimes mm. even around the world. Mm. I think that's one of the coolest jobs in the world. That's, that's, I mean, it goes right back to, to what, you know, Adam, you're always talking about to the Forge Academy is 
you know, even I mean, even here at the summit, it's networking. You know, we had this be networking event over and over. They hammered into our minds. It's so important to go out there, get to know people, because that's that's kind of the key. You know, you're in DC, pounding the pavement for six months, building relationships till you finally, you know, get the breakthrough, and then it leads to one yeah. thing and to the other. That's that's kind of that's you know, essentially the point that you keep that you keep yeah. it at. Yeah. The, the what did Justin? Say when he opened up, uh, when we when we when we opened up, we talked about the, the the people you meet, the places you go, the decisions you make, and the ideas you wrestle with, right? Mm. And, and, well and, said. And I guess the well said the, the questions you pursue, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So shifting gears for a second here, uh, in your speech, you know, they just got done giving to the, the Forge uh, Summit to the students. Um, what were were some of the key key takeaways that you want the students to come away with from that speech? Uh, and then dovetailing after that, a lot of the students in the question thread that we have uh, on uh, on a little Slido uh, app uh, were asking, "What do you think of, of Trump's trade policy in light of the different economic theories that, that you were talking about?" Mm, mm. So first takeaways from yeah, the first takeaway. Yeah, yeah. I think capitalism is the most human economy that we have. It's the most human and humane economic system that we have ever invented. It is in many ways basically the reason why we are experiencing and living in one of the most prosperous times that humanity has ever known. I think defenders of capitalism often stop there, though. They say, we are materially wealthy. And they don't answer the charge that we are morally bankrupt. Hmm. And I think that is the eternal charge against capitalism, yeah. that even that's, when it makes right. us yeah. wealthy, yeah. that it still has such terrible injustices and inequalities, hmm. such terrible moral shortcomings, that no amount of money can paper that over. Hmm. And I think that since we've essentially been wrestling with some of those charges for the at the very least, the past 200 years since Karl Marx's birth, um, that there is no one direct answer, but there's a multitude of answers to that charge. And I think some of it comes down to the, the very fact that this kind of individual freedom that capitalism both enables and thrives on also coexists with a kind of social freedom. Both of these are ones that are about individual flourishing, an individual flourishing together, mm-hmm. and so it's a first to char- It's a first to defense against those that say that capitalism inevitably leads to disconnection and alienation. I think that is very much a challenge of our time, mm-hmm. but that is not so much a challenge with capitalism in and of itself, rightly understood. Mm-hmm. I also think you have to be morally okay with wealth. Mm-hmm. That wealth mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Not something that in and of itself corrupts, but human nature through wealth can sometimes be corrupted and find it corrupting. But wealth nationally, wealth as shared, wealth with us as a community and society is actually uh, in, in enabling us to pursue that accumulation and the freedom to do it can also mm. be morally good too. Mm. Um, I think that is worth defending. Hmm. I also think it's worth defending the kind of humility that is inherent in capitalism that says that I don't, I cannot ever hope to understand this 
uh, economic system or society well enough. And so I will choose not to centrally coordinate it, but instead let people turn their greater ambition into the greater good. And that kind of freedom leads to both economic prosperity and moral and social well-being. I think that is a case worth defending in capitalism as a human and humane economy. Now, as it, as it relates to to tariffs, I must confess I am not an expert in international trade. Even though I have a degree in international relations, that's that was not what I focused on. And another confession is that. I work on state and local policy, the Manhattan mm-hmm. Institute. That's not what mm-hmm. tariffs are about. Yeah. I think, nevertheless, that tariffs are about this kind of – the way that they are pursued is often about a kind of central coordination mm-hmm. by the government um, of the economy mm-hmm. um, through the taxation structure. I think it, it leads us to do things in the economy that – Often conservatives would never otherwise support mm. if we called it by any other name or if we ourselves were not mm. pursuing those tariffs. Mm. I also think tariffs lead to a lot of unintended consequences and costs that we have not fully accounted for. And also, by the way, tariffs can lead to uh, a lack, it can, it can erode a free and fair marketplace. Now, of mm. course, the charge right back will be. Well, these are purely defensive measures. There are other competitors out there, China, maybe other countries that we would not otherwise consider to be competitors, who, through their tariff regimes, are acting in unfair means. But I will say this. Think about the future scenarios and outcomes of an aggressive pursuit of high tariffs on the part of the United States, even as a defensive measure. If we lose that, we are all worse off. Hmm. If if we win that, we are potentially better off, but only if we de-escalate properly. And we don't even know what the good outcome is necessarily that we want. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that even the best case outcome still is not that much greater than the status quo. Mm -hmm. Even in a world in which other countries have levied tariffs against us, Mm -hmm. we are still better off cooperating with them Hmm. in a relatively non-aggressive way. We are still better off doing what we can Hmm. to maintain uh, a free and open system Mm -hmm. based on institutions, international institutions that we ourselves established and we ourselves backed. And working within that system, even if it is unfair sometimes, Hmm. we are all nevertheless better off enforcing it and maintaining it mm-hmm. than willfully undermining it on our own side. That's, that's a good point. It, you know, to your point, you know, since you're doing state and local policy, you know, one of the things that we don't deal with between states is tariffs. You know, right, right, right in there in the Constitution was states yeah. can't do that against each other. And what do we have? We have a massive economy around the United States that's created the wealthiest nation in the world because those states but, had and, a free economy. But ask between each ask other. the farmers in Nebraska yeah. or Iowa how they're going to be impacted by a trade war. Mm. And they're going to tell you it's going to impact them quite a lot. Mm. So even though the states themselves aren't negotiating tariff policy, they are hurt or mm. sometimes helped by tariff policy. Yeah. And um, in order to right whatever wrongs come about from a trade war, as we saw, I believe it was today, 
we now have to have calls for subsidies, more mm. subsidies yep. for farmers yep. in order to yeah. rectify uh, basically a trade war that we thought yeah. was going to be costless. Yeah. And now we realize not only do we have a cost in the international system, but we also now have to subsidize our farmers. And this just will yeah. keep going. Yeah. It will keep yeah. going on and on and on like this. And even parts of the economy that we hope to have – uh, seek some sort of benefit from a trade uh, from from trade aggression on our part, pushing back against unfair trade policies, like some some manufacturing parts of the manufacturing sector. We see that even there, they are hurt by retaliatory tariffs yeah. on steel, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you can have Harley Davidson saying, yeah. "We don't want to do business in America anymore." This was ostensibly a trade war meant to help that sector, yeah. and it only hurts them. Hmm. These are the sort of unintended consequences that we want to be able to stay away from. Yeah. So the final line, yeah. Capitalism is uh, what's the great quote about about democracy from Churchill? Oh, it's the, democracy is the, the what does he it's, say? It's the worst kind of government except for all the other ones that have been it, tried. That's right. So we could say the same about <laughs> capitalism: is the worst economic system except for all the others. That's right. That's right. You, but it, it, re- it requires a moral peace. That that's what. That's what capitalism is. Yeah, it requires – capitalism depends on extra capitalist institutions mm. and habits and virtues. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we would do well to remember that. Yep. In our full-throated defense of capitalism, in my own full-throated defense of capitalism, I, I am 100 percent convinced that we cannot forget yep. those extra capitalist things. Yep. We have to remember the importance of a strong community and a great society – Social capital, as much as we talk about financial capital, human capital, as much as you talk about physical capital, those things matter just as much, if not more. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Adam. Thank you, Michael. We, we appreciate you greatly. Thanks for It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everyone. Join us next time in the Forge Leadership Network podcast. We're looking forward to more uh, great speakers, great content to share with you guys. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Forge Leadership Podcast. If you liked the show, please drop a review in your podcast app and be sure to subscribe for all our latest episodes. You can follow Forge Leadership Network at Forge Leadership on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more information about Forge programming, please visit forgeleadership.org.